last time I spoke up here, um, I was, it's, been, it's been a few weeks, but um, my, uh, my dad wound up calling me because I shared like a memory that I had when I was like a little kid. And he was like, actually, this was what, what, the, what the real situation was because I was talking about walking to the bus and it being like, uh, it felt like miles away, but of course it's just around the corner. But you know, when, you're like, when your legs are like a foot long, it's, it's forever. Anyways, so I, I've learned that I've got to be careful what I say. And oh, hi, dad, when you listen to this. Um, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, as, uh, as Nick mentioned, uh, and we, um, we all have moments in our lives that we're never going to forget, right? There's these things, these, these, these almost you know, these fixed points in time, like even if it's maybe in your life or maybe just in, in the world as a whole, like I think if you're old enough, you can remember when, uh, when the planes flew into the two towers for 9-11, like you can remember the moment that you heard whether it was on TV, you can remember the, the images, and then you can, you can remember everything about that. It's just fixed in your mind, that moment. And then your life has changed forever since then, right? So now you have to take your shoes off when you get into the plane. You can't take a bottle of water. Like Everything changed from that moment forward, and your life has been changed as a fixed moment. Um, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's even closer to you. Uh, maybe it's, you know, oh, you know, you're praying really hard, God, give me this job. God, this, this woman that I just met, she's, she's my wife. We, we're going to get married. Just make it happen. Or, you know, whatever it is, these things that you just go to God with, and you're like, oh, this is it. This is the, this is the biggest moment in my life, and it's got to go in this way. And God says, no. It's going to go a different way. And he's got a bigger plan in that moment that, that, that extends beyond that. And then when you get to look back at your life, you can say, God's hand was in my life all through that, even, maybe even before I knew him. Even before there was this, this time in my life where I was sure that I was going to do this thing. And God said no, but he saved me from whatever future that would have been because he had a plan for me. Um, we're going to talk about kind of that moment today for the church, one of these moments for the church. It's kind of like, um, I think another example of this would be um, if, uh, if you've ever seen those movies where like something crazy is happening, right? Um, and somebody's running away, uh, it's a terrible example, but I'm going to use it anyways. If you've ever seen the movie Zombieland, um, not, I'm not recommending go and watch it right now, uh, but um, I find zombies hilarious. If you don't, don't, don't watch it. But I find them hilarious. Anyways, this movie, right, so it opens up with uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's characters running away from the zombie, and they, they can't move very, you know, they're slow. And so he's, this, is, this, this is rules for surviving the uh, zombie apocalypse, and it freezes frame, and then all of a sudden, like, he breaks the fourth wall and says, these are my rules. Rule one, cardio. <laughs> and you're like, to, to, to avoid the zombie apocalypse, anyways, that moment he stops. He says, hey, let me explain this to you. And when we get to, to Acts, we, we're in, we're in, Luke is writing this um, as kind of like the sequel to, to, the, to the Gospel of Luke, right? But he's writing to Theophilus, um, a person or a group of people, who knows? But he's, he's kind of that, okay, stop moment, right? It's like, we're 60 years later. Theophilus, Christianity has taken the world by storm. It's everywhere. It's impacting societies. It's impacting governments. It's impacting everything. Um, you know, stop. How did we get here? What moments were important into this? And right, so first we have the gospel, Jesus' story, right? Starting from taking, in the very beginning of, of Luke, the genealogy of history of Jesus up through his, his death and resurrection, his, his, his ministry on earth, his death and resurrection, we get Acts as that it continues through the church. And he promises first the Holy Spirit, which is what we talked about last week, 
And now we get to talk about, like I said, the birth of the church, the beginning, the power of that. So today what we're going to talk about is God giving his spirit to the whole church, not to, not, to a, not to a few special people in the church, the whole church, so that the church might reach the whole world. So let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll read through Acts. Dear Lord, we just want to come before you this morning. We just pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray for your presence, Lord. We pray for um, this morning that your word would accomplish your purposes in your people, Lord that uh, what, we, what we receive today would not be bound by these walls. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 2. Let me get there too. Okay, I'm there. Uh, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and in it, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who, were speaking, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to uh, Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor and sm of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and in his tomb with us, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all our witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having rece received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He was poured out for this, he was poured out this, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you cru crucified. Now then, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord call, God calls to himself. <clears throat> and with many words, he bore, witnesses, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation, so those who receive his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, uh, they received their food with glad, generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So uh, it opens up with uh, the uh, 120 people gathered in an upper room, and uh, they are sitting there waiting, as they've been told to wait for God's Holy Spirit. And then 50 days later, Pentecost, right? 50 days uh, after that, uh, after Jesus' uh, resurrection, they, um, it says, suddenly a mighty wind, a sound of a mighty wind comes through, like, I love that when, when, when we see those words suddenly, immediately, like those things, it's like it happened all of the sudden. Like they weren't, there was no like 
hello, the wind's coming in. It was just God was there. They were there waiting, but it was God's timing that said, now it's happening. The time that I've appointed from the beginning of, the, of creation is right now. Suddenly, the sound comes in. Um, it's important to note that, like, as we get into that, um, that power, that it's a, it's, while this is going to happen suddenly, it's going to be continual. And we'll see that as we get through this, that, um, that being connected to the power of, of the Holy Spirit, power of God, is not like a one-and-done deal. It's a continual connection. Like, um, and it begins with this presence of God that we're, we're, we're talking about here, the suddenly the wind and the fire. These are all representations of the presence of God coming down upon them, the Holy Spirit's presence coming down at this, at this birth of the church. Uh, I have a... I have a lamp in my, well, I have, I have a pretty old, uh, my living room has no lights. Uh, and I'm telling you this because it, it, it's, it's, it's important that you should know. My living room has no lights. Um, so I put in this like wireless lamp thing that, you know, you, I put like a fake light switch, you can turn it on and it'll turn the light on in the other room and then I don't stumble. My kids are constantly unplugging that thing. They're turning it off. And so like I come in in the morning and like, well, I plugged it in, you know, I set it up. And, I, and I, it was working, but now, you know, if it's dark and I hit it and there's no light, I'm going to stumble, right? So, like, the one time wasn't enough. That thing needs to be on and ready to go. Uh, and so, uh, just like that, the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit, like, the power that we have as Christians isn't, like, you're saved and you're done. It's a continual connection, a continual presence of God in our lives that we need to live the Christian life. We need that. Um, so it's not, here's the power, you're done. It's God's power flowing through us because we're connected to him. So in, um, and if, 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 for example, we were up here and, and this one time that we're talking about at Pentecost was a one-time deal and then never again, then there'd be no power in this church. We might as well be a social club, a Facebook group. We might as well be talking about sports rather than actually the true power of God. We need that here today, just like we need it every day, the presence of God in our lives. In uh, 1 through 4, right, it says, um, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house and where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So why wind? It's kind of a, like, okay, God's going to appear, God's going to start his church, and the first thing he does is, is they hear a sound of a mighty wind. Like, what, is, what, is, what does wind have to do with God? Well, actually, a whole lot. It was just, it's kind of interesting when you look at it. The... Um, when we usually think about the Holy Spirit, I think we can get stuck into this, like, ah, I don't know, like, modern, postmodern, I don't know, American idea of, like, well, as long as I have peace about something, you know, that's God's Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to go do it. And uh, the language here is not really peaceful, is it? It says a mighty wind. Some translations say this is a violent wind. It's a storm coming into their lives, something that will shake things up. It shakes the whole house, right? Um, wind here... Um, in the, in the Greek, it's, the word is pneuma, 
Um, in the in the Hebrew, uh, the word is ruch. You got to kind of do that at the back of your throat. I can't do it. I, um, but anyways, that ruch. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but the uh, but that word is translated all throughout the Bible as wind, breath, or spirit. And so when we look for that throughout the Bible, we can see that it's constantly used in reference to God's spirit. Jesus, when he appears to the disciples, he blows on them, and then he says, receive the Holy Spirit, right? And we can go even further back to, to um, uh, we see uh, when God creates uh, Adam, right? What does he do? He blows life into him. He blows life into him. And then even, even further back, you know, it says that God's spirit, God's ruach was floating above all of you know the void, the darkness to, to create the universe. That that spirit in that upper room, that that wind, all the way goes all the way through scripture. And it's it's kind of the best way to describe it, uh, the word, kind of when we're talking about breath, it's like if you went, you know, you take that take that violent intake of air and you hold on to it. You know, that's like this this is this is something that is happening that is like powerful, that is like um, we can see that uh, how God, throughout God's word, that wind has represented God, has represented his spirit. So in this room, in this wind, where God's power is, it's powered by his presence. Uh, when, we, when we talk about wind, we often talk about, look at, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind, right? We power whole cities by the wind. So this is more than just like, you know, a gentle breeze. This is a violent, you know, spirit storm really kind of coming down on them. Um, so then why also fire? So we have wind and the sound of a mighty wind and then uh, something that Luke says, you know, something like flames of, of fire, right? Um, so fire is the, uh, also a representation of God's presence, right? When we, when we talk about... Um, we talk about Moses in the bush. The bush is what? On fire. That was God's presence there for Moses in the Old Testament, right? Uh, when later on in, their, in, their, in that journey, uh, the Israelites are, are running through the wilderness, and what's leading them at night is a, is a pillar of fire, right? God's presence. Uh, even Hebrews says God is a consuming fire. So when we talk about the wind, we talk about the fire. We talk about this day of Pentecost, of God's Holy Spirit coming in. It begins with his presence mightily felt. So our church needs to be built on God's presence. Not clever teaching, not a good feeling, not, not, not a style of worship you like or don't like, not a size of church that you like or don't like, but fully grounded in God's presence, in the Holy Spirit's presence. Um, so if you came here today and you haven't seen any wind or fire, it's, it's okay. We're getting there. But this is, this is the, this is the moment, right? This is the moment of the birth of the church. I'm not saying that God doesn't use those, but this is, this is a significant moment in time. Um, but look at what happens next once the presence of God is in their lives. In 2.11, it says, we hear them telling in, their own t in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So the Holy Spirit 
being attached to God's power through his presence results in God being glorified. I, uh, you notice that this is, not only is God being glorified, it's supernatural. You can't explain it. Like, all of a sudden, people want to run around knowing other languages. Like, I've tried, I've always thought it would be cool to know more, more than just English, and I've tried several times to learn other languages. I get so far, but not very far. Um, so, but this was supernatural, right? I heard uh, an atheist talking about uh, he believed in science only and that there was no God because uh, he said if you took away all of knowledge, you could rebuild science. Like you could, you could rebuild, if a thousand years later we would have the same math uh, equations, the same this, the same that. Um, and I thought, you know, that's, that's an interesting point, but you know, science is good at one thing, it's good at observing, it's not very good at interpreting. It's not very good at giving you the why, the reason, the power, the, why, the, the how, sure, but like, it's not very good at saying, okay, this world, you know, unless you can see it and observe it, it's, 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 it's kind of lacking in that, in, that, in that usefulness category, I think. There are things that science will never be able to explain, morality, for example, faith, for example, things that we need a supernatural example, uh, supernatural reason for. And that's um, just all that to say that God's power is supernatural. It's different than anything that, that the world can offer, different than anything that anyone else can offer. So first they receive the, the Holy Spirit mightily, then they, then they act in that power. And in 2.12 and 13 it says, and all were amazed and perplexed. You know, the people who were hearing these, these guys talk um, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Go home, Peter, you're drunk. Right? So notice that there's, there's two reactions here to the people that have no clue what's going on. They weren't in that room, but you know, all these people are just talking about amazing thing, works of God in languages that they understand natively. Uh, the truth is there's no, there's no natural explanation for that. I think... Um, there's no, uh, there's no way to kind of give that to somebody. So, like, uh, what, would, what would make them think that they were drunk? I get confusion, right? I get, like, oh, well, that's weird. This guy's speaking to me, and he's not from my town, but he's speaking my language, right? But why drunk? And uh, I, think, I think it might have been that they were being loud, right? So, like... Because not only were they, this something amazing happened, it shook, you know, the sound of the mighty wind brought everybody around because was, there was something big happening, some spirit storm, and then, then they're, they're, they must have been shouting. They must have been just overwhelmed by the joy, like they couldn't hold it in. They were just speaking of the mighty works of God. But it's interesting that the people's reaction is confusion, and then, oh, you're drunk. And the only reason I can think of that is because we don't, we don't listen to drunk people, right? If somebody's drunk, you're like, whatever. You, you don't know what you're talking about. If somebody's crazy, like we put them in this category, I don't have to listen to what a word you're saying, I just have to humor you, it's okay. You know, you'll sleep it off, you'll feel terrible tomorrow, but you know, this Holy Spirit thing, it's okay. Um, so, I was listening to, uh, listening to a podcast uh, the other day, and uh, the, the host was saying, you know, I, I used to have these amazing ideas when I was drunk. It was like ways to become a multimillionaire, 
when I, you know, and, uh, but then I'd wake up the next morning and I'd totally forget the idea. So he had, an, he, he had a thought. I'm going to put a notepad right by my bed. And when I have one of these amazing drunk ideas, I'm going to write it down. And the next day, I'm going to go do it. And, and I'm just going to be rich. It's going to be fantastic, right? So as you can imagine, he did that a few times. Um, and he would have this brilliant idea and then write it down. And the next day, he'd open up his notepad and say, buy a tractor. <laughs> Move to Texas. And it's just like, OK. There's no way that anything that I do drunk makes sense, right? There's, no, there's nothing there. So that's what these, these people were going for. They were going for, if I can put you in this category, I don't have to listen to what you're saying. Because if, otherwise, these, remember, these people are here, gathered here, are devout men of God. They're devout people who are trying to seek God, but they, they're, when faced with the power of God, they can't deal with it. So what do you guys do in the face of God's presence? What if God comes to you and, uh, you know, says something to you, says something to your life by somebody maybe you don't like? Oh, I don't agree with this person in, in this matter. So, you know, what if somebody's even attacking you? Like, says, oh, well, you know, you need to fix this in your life if you want to talk to me about Jesus. I think that's always an opportunity for us to say, okay, God, what, what are you saying? Is there something you're saying to me here? Is there something I need to change? Go to the scripture. Go to, go to people you trust. Go to, go to you know, and, and don't discount that God can use anybody, even people you disagree with. Uh, so, but the next step, not only is that power supernatural, the Holy Spirit's power supernatural, the Holy Spirit's power unites us, unifies us. God gives his spirit to the whole church to reach the whole world, Right? Notice that their reaction is confusion. In fact, the word used there is bewildered, right? Um, that word also has a long history. Bewildered. Um, it's also used in Genesis 11. You'll, you'll find it interesting. Where there was uh, the Tower of Babel. And if, you've, um, if you're familiar with that story, you know, like we can even go... Uh, we kind of have to go a little bit further back in Genesis, I think, to kind of make it, put it in this right context. But if I talk about the sin of Adam and Eve, right, I can talk to you about, well, you know, some people like to take that and say, okay, well, the, the, what they did was they ate, a, they ate this apple that they weren't supposed to, and because they ate the apple, that's, that's it. That's, I think that's a part of it, not an apple, because uh, it was a, just described as a fruit. But uh, you have to talk about what that, what, what that tree represented to understand what the serpent's promise was to Adam and Eve to understand what that original sin is, right? It's the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. And what does the serpent promise to, to, to them? You will eat this and you will be like God. What Adam and Eve wanted in their heart was to be able to say what is right and what is wrong and not care what God says about it. So whatever God, right, so to be able to say in their heart, if I, do, if I break this rule, it's okay because I said it's right. That's my perspective. I said it's right, and so it's right. And there's no sin in the thing that I do because I decide what's right and wrong, not God. So that was their sin. And then when we take that and extend it out to the Tower of Babel, you, the story starts to make a little bit more sense because what were they doing at there? They were building a tower to show their power to God. 
because what ha happened after the flood, um, so if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, there was the flood, and then God says, okay, now go out into the earth and spread. Now, I want all of humanity to spread out in the earth, and instead, what did they do? They gathered into one city, disobeyed God's commandment there, and then said, you know what? We've decided that this is the right thing. We're going to be in the city. This is right. What God said is not right. Now we're going to build a tower. And this tower is going to let the world know, let God know that we are right and he's not. So what does God do? He says, I've told you to spread out. Now I'm going to cause confusion. The curse of the Tower of Babel, right? They all suddenly spoke in different tongues. Uh, you know, then they couldn't understand each other. Does it start to make sense? The Holy Spirit comes on and people can start to under, understand each other, but back then, when God's curse of, of the Tower of Babel, they can't understand each other. They can no longer live together. They've got to spread out and follow God's uh, commandment. So, the power of the Holy Spirit is God breaking this curse to unify us again as humanity, but to unify us in his right and wrong. Um, so unity in the church begins and is grounded and continues in the presence of God in the power of his Holy Spirit. Uh, if you, um, so 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and whoever, has, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And even uh, further on, church tradition, so if you know, John, um, who also wrote Revelation, is, is traditionally the only apostle to have died of old age. And he reached the point where he couldn't, he, he didn't say much. In fact, they would card him around, he would sit down and he'd say, his sermons were, were uh, you know, six words, beloved, love one, let us love one another. Like, little children love each other. That's, that was the whole of his sermon. And in that, you know, that's impossible without God. We all come here from different backgrounds, different, different ideas, different concepts, different everything. And we, as humans, if you've ever had a roommate, you know no matter how much you loved this person, when you didn't live together, as soon as you live together, you're like, oh my God, they don't do the dishes. You know, like there's something, and then it just starts to get, why don't you ever do this? Why, why are we agree, disagreeing on this? As soon as you start to, you, you get married, you know, it's all happy, and then all of a sudden, wait, now we have to live together, and the reality of it, right? The church, we have to live together, and the only way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, the power unifies us, and this power has a purpose, as I was saying. God gives us his spirit. God gives his spirit to the whole church, to reach the whole world. The mighty wind that comes in, God's presence felt, they start, it represents a continuous creative and redemptive activity of the Holy Spirit. It blew those 120 disciples out of that room and onto the streets of Jerusalem. You can't contain the power of the Holy Spirit in one building. I'll say that again. You can't contain the power of the Holy Spirit in a building. If the church for you stops at those doors on this day, or you'll see you next week, then it's nothing more than entertainment. You're here to just, just be satisfied with what you hear. And, you know, the things that don't make sense, oh, well, you know, I'll ignore that. But, you know, I'm here, I feel good, and then I leave. If that's where it stops, 
there's so much more to this life. There's so much more to what church is supposed to be. It's so much more to what Christianity is supposed to be. It's supposed to pour out these doors into the streets. That's the purpose of the power, to reach the world, not just to make us feel satisfied or learn foreign languages, um, but, uh, and not to sit uncomfortably in turn-of-the-century pews singing songs that uh, we, we know. Um, so Peter stands up with boldness, it says, right, and preaches the gospel message. This is the same Peter who denied Christ three times, even to the point that he was swearing, saying, you know, using foul language, like, I don't know this guy, beep, bleep, bleep, uh, you know, like, and then when Jesus returns to him and says, Peter, I'm, and, and, and restores Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, Peter says, you know, roughly translated, I like you, right? So he used, God, Jesus uses one word for love, which is this deep, you know, unabashed love. Do you love me? And Peter says, you know, I, I love you as a friend. Like, and I think, you know, Peter was probably stuck at this point where he knew how, how, how much he had failed and like he couldn't even get himself to, you know, like there's a part of me that wants to say yes and there's a part of me that says, I failed, I can't. But Peter now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can. And now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, stands up in boldness and proclaims to them the truth. So the power, of the, power in, this, in the presence, the power is supernatural, it unifies, and it is also uh, truth. It, it leads us to the truth. So it says the first thing that, that Peter does uh, is get rid of the, this, oh, they're drunk thing. He says, no, 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 you guys have to listen to what they're saying. You can't just call them drunk. That's not enough. It's not even 8.30. It says third hour. I had to look this up. Every time it's in the Bible, I'm like, third hour. I don't. So I looked it up, 8.30 a.m. So he says, it's not even 8.30 in the morning. There's no way they're drunk, guys. This is, this is ridiculous. So he shows them that this was planned by God by going to, the, to, to Joel um, in the Old Testament. And he says, and in the last days, in 2.17, he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Peter shows them that this, is, this has been the plan from the beginning. This is what God was going to do. This is how God is working out his power, and that is for today and for now. We live in that time today as God is pouring out his spirit. That is for today, for now. Um, you know, and he says uh, later on in 21, says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it's interesting that it's not, it's not the dreams, the prophesying, the, 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 you know, talking of the mighty works of God that is saving them, it's Jesus, right? Um, we are saved through Jesus. It says in 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, Peter is explaining to them, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and work and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as yourself, you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it, it was not possible for him to be held by it. So speak, when speaking of uh, what saves them, it's, it's through Jesus in no other way, right? 
We can, I can talk to you about the amazing things that God has done in my life. I can talk to you about the mighty works of God, but it all has to come down to Jesus has done this not only for me, but for you. And I'm here because of God's presence in my life and because of Jesus' sacrifice. So in uh, 412, Acts 4.12, it says, there is no one, there's no, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. So don't, we don't look for signs and wonders. We look for Jesus, right? We look for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to see what that means to our church today as we get further along. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that saves. And um, then we look at their response in 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God gives his spirit to the whole church to reach the whole world. So they weren't offering them um, any other power than Jesus. They said, you repent and be saved, and he will give you his Holy Spirit, the same power that we're talking about, the same power that we have the ability to talk to you about, the same power that he's done these mighty works in our lives and in, in everyone else's lives. It is available to you. In verse 41, it says that 3,000 were saved that day. These were people who were, remember, they were confused and they were mocking them. These are the same people that were saying, you're drunk. But what changed that? It was, it was the gospel. It was the gospel that changed them. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't the fire. All that was, it brought them around, right, seeing that. But it was the gospel that saved them. So as we continue, we see that the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not only this power that saves, but the power to live. So, again, why doesn't, why doesn't this happen every Sunday? Why don't we see flames and, and, and wind and things like that? Um, in fact, if you, it doesn't even happen that way in the Bible every time, right? I can't look, I can see other, there are four Pentecost events in Acts. Um, it's interesting that there are four of them, them highlighted, uh, because if you go back to Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, four of them. And then if you look forward in, in Acts 2, the one we're looking at, this is the first one, in Jerusalem, because this is happening in Jerusalem. It was for the Jews. In Acts 8, it says uh, that, the, that the remaining Israelites lost, this is you can read about it later. It's uh, the one to uh, Judea and Samaria, right? Uh, Judea. And then the third was for the Gentiles in Acts 10, and the fourth was in Acts 19, the fourth where it's to the Jews and the Gentiles to the church in Ephesus, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, those were the moments that you can remember that, can af that, that, that have affected us as, uh, as Christ Church today, all the way through, right? All of time here. And 2, uh, 42 says, and they devoted themselves. So we're going to talk about the operation of a church, a church that is in God's Holy Spirit. His presence is there. His power is there. This is what a church looks like. 
It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any have need. So what does this look like? What, is, what does the church actually look like? You know, should a church be a certain size? Should there be a style of music? We tend to have these preferences. Like, oh, I, I like this style of teaching, or I like this style of music, or I like this size of church. And those aren't bad things to have. Like, there's, there's, there's that comfort zone where, like, I've, I'm used to this. But we have to be open to what, what I think are the, maybe the essentials of the church, and, and that's the Holy Spirit, right? So if you're, if you're thinking, you know, should I attend a church? Should I go to a diff- different church? That's what you want to look for. And, you know, I think, I think if, we, if, we were, if we're honest with what we're looking for in that kind of a church, I think, you know, we can see a few things that, that are important. We want a community that, that really sacrifices for one another, a community that's willing to say, you need this here, I have this. You, let me help you. Let me be there for you. It's going to hurt me, but, you know, this is, this is you're important. Uh, we want a community that's marked by joy, and happiness, that's the community we see here, where, uh, where people actually love each other and are excited to get to each other, together, right? I, you know, we want uh, a community, you know, we want a church that is both inclusive and yet transformative, one that says, come just as you are, uh, and yet we'll let the, we will work with you, the Holy Spirit, we want Jesus to make us into better people. Welcome as you are but transformed by the gospel. We want uh, a church that is, that there's a sense of awe. We want to, we want to come in uh, where God's presence is among us, where real life change is happening with people, right? That's what we want. We want the Holy Spirit here. We want God's church to be here. And you get there, a spirit-filled church, you notice the first thing they say is devoted and submitted to the word of God. That's the first sign you should look for. If you're, in a, if you're in a church that isn't, then find another church. It's more than just a preference. It has to be devoted and submitted to the word of God. The word of God needs to be the power of the church, and the word of God needs to be changing us. Uh, it has to be the cornerstone. And then a spirit-filled church is devoted to fellowship. It's a, it's a funny, I, I, I get tired of the word fellowship. It's very Christian-y. And then I think of maybe a better word is community. It feels more hippie, but, you know, it's like we want, like, we want, we want to have all things in common. We want to sacrifice for each other. We want to, we want, uh, we want to, you know, it says breaking bread, you know, having meals together. We want to, we want to, we want to be a community that supports each other. And then uh, it's interesting that also it says that they had favor with all other people. So not only should a church have this community, but it also needs to extend that community outwards, right? It needs to push out those doors and it needs to say, uh, these are the mighty works of God. This is the gospel. This is the truth that Jesus loves you. And that power that I have through his presence is available to you. And um, so if you're struggling with, uh, you know, in your own personal life right now, or if there's, um, maybe you, you've come, if you've come here looking for the power of God, uh, if, you're, if you're tired of, maybe if, if, if you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're tired of the grind, you're tired of the, you're getting worn down, or, or things are kind of sapping your strength, 
Um, Jesus' response to that is you only need to ask me. Right? So, like, if, if getting here this morning was, was difficult and uh, you, you felt that, oh, I just, you know, I got to get out there this morning. Or uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not something you deal with. But uh, all you need to do is ask for it. If you look at, um, so I was listening to another podcast. I, I do that a lot. Um, Jordan Peterson was talking about uh, dealing with addiction. And he said the only scientific, you know, the only consistent power of addiction, he says, is religion. And I thought, oh, you got so close, Jordan. You're just, you're just right there. It's not true. What you're missing is the next step. The only power over that is the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. The Holy Spirit's power in your life. Um, religion doesn't, is not enough. It's the power of God that is on offer. So if we talk about, like I said, um, Ephesians... Um, in Ephesians 19, where it talks about the Church of Ephesus, the, the fourth uh, onto the rest of the world Pentecostal event, right? So Paul shows up to the church, and he says, do you guys have the Holy Spirit? And they said, who's, who's that? And so he says, well, he lays hands on them, prays for them, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues again. Um, that church is mentioned also later on, right? So if you uh, take a look with me at Revelations chapter 2, Jesus wrote a letter to this church much later on. So we have the, the gospel, we have the, the epistles, sorry, uh, to, to Ephesians. But Jesus wrote to this church specifically. 2.1. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works and your toil and your patience and endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, church, what the Spirit says to the churches. And uh, to the one who conquers, I will grant, eat, uh, grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the, para, in the paradise of God. So this church, they were continuing on and they were doing the work, but they were, they were, they were missing that, that, that love. They were missing that, that peace, that, um, the piece of, um, piece of the puzzle. The, uh, they were missing, I think, the, the Holy Spirit's presence in them, the, the, what we had just talked about, the power that unifies, the power that is in truth, the power that is in all these things. And a church, can, you can continue a long way on your own motor, but you're going to run out of gas and you're going to hate rowing that boat, Right? Because you're going to try to keep up to what, what you could do on, on that power, but you're just you're going to get exhausted. And at some point, you throw the oars and you say, forget it. Right? We need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to be the church. 
of God, to be the church, to be the people that God wants us to be, to reach out into the community, to, to, to do the, any of these things. It's all based on God's presence continually in our lives. Just like that lamp, I can't turn it on if it's not plugged in. It has to be constantly plugged in. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we just want to come before you. We just, we just lay ourselves before you. Lord, we just pray for your power. We pray for your continual presence in our lives. Lord, we pray that um, as, we, as, we, as we talk with each other, Lord, that we're just so overflowing and loud with how great you are, the mighty works. But Lord, at the, at the end of the day, that it's your son, Lord, your, that Jesus is sacrificed for our lives that we lean in on, Lord. It is that power that we have because of that. It is eternal life that we have because of that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would use the power that you've given to us to talk about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.